right? Well, good morning. We're thankful that you have chosen to join us. There we go. I think that's a little more centered. Um, let me make you aware of a couple of different announcements concerning this coming week, and we will go from there. <clears throat> the plan is to resume public services on um, January 20th. That's this coming Wednesday. Um, we've had a couple of people that have gotten sick, and as we had our last public services uh, 14 days ago on Wednesday, we've decided that we'll come back after that point. Um, when we do resume public uh, meetings, we do ask that you are not demonstrating any any symptoms of any illness, um, or if you are, um, that they're lingering symptoms and you've been sick for like two weeks. Because uh, after about 14 days, they say you shouldn't be able to spread COVID. So even if you don't think you have it, and you do have it, um, that should prohibit the spread of any more illness here at Emmanuel and keep us open, hopefully, for a couple more weeks. Um, other than that, um, I have on the schedule January 21st a fellowship meal. I'm not sure if that'll happen. Bethany's been a little bit under the weather since last Thursday. She got sick on the 14th. Um, she's not horrible. She's doing fine, actually. But um, just as a precaution, we might not have that unless she begins to feel better pretty quickly here. Uh, so watch your email, and we'll let you know if something changes. Uh, January 31st, we'll have an annual meeting. Um, so please do make plans to attend that now. On February 5th and 6th is the Midwinter Couples Retreat. Uh, Tim Capon will be speaking for that. The cost is $65 if you register for, register for it before Wednesday. Otherwise, the cost goes up, I believe, about $10. Um, then a new thing on the on the list of things that are upcoming events is um, is the Think Like Chris Christ Men's Conference that's going to be in Cedar Rapids on February twentieth from nine a.m. to four p.m. Uh, the cost for that is ten dollars per man. Um, if you're interested in going, let me know, and we'll make arrangements together. Uh, do let me know sooner rather than later. So. Um, I'll be on vacation from the 7th um, until about the 15th, possibly the 16th, um, evening of the 7th. So I'll be here on, this, on Sunday the 7th. Um, but if you let me know before I go on vacation, that helps me by way of just making plans for um, the following week right when I'm getting back from vacation. And then February 27th is Monopoly Madness. April 12th and 13th is the IRBC annual conference. So um, just a couple of things to uh, be aware of. I'm sure other things will come up and when they do uh, we'll try to keep you aware of them. Alright, I think that's all that I have by way of announcements. So let's go to Lord in a Word of Prayer and then we will uh, dive into our text. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We pray that our time together this morning would be honoring to you, that it would be glorifying to you, that through it uh, we would um, be able to encourage one another and strengthen one another. We do pray that um, you would be with those who are suffering, those who are in 
pain. We pray that they would uh, look to you and see that their hope, um, their only their only possibility for hope in the midst of the trials and difficulties of this life is in a relationship with you that is growing. And we pray that you would um, comfort those hearts that may be struggling at this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, uh, one other thing. Um, today is the 17th. I've contacted a few of... Oh, sorry. I'll try to. <coughs> um, playing clipped audio. Okay. Um, one other thing. Um, July or January 17th is today. I've asked a few of you if you would be interested in a discipleship program that would begin um, on February 7th and would go through the end of January 2021. If you're interested in doing that, I do need to know um, sometime today so that I can continue making plans and making sure that we're all on the same page and working towards the goals that are outlined in the material you got earlier um, at some point. Alright, so if you're interested, let me know by the end of the day. Alright, let's let's go to Philippians chapter 4 and we will we'll dive in. Alright, <clears throat> this passage is uh, talking about contentment and it also talks about um, the importance of um, giving is the big idea is actually the importance of giving and how giving is actually a source of thanksgiving a means by which we can uh, more clearly see who our God is and how he cares for us how he provides for us and as we meditate upon God's provision and God's care um, I'm sorry I can't yell too much louder <coughs> um, I'm not sure I'm not sure why you can't. Anyways, um, the passage talks about God's provision and God's care. It talks about how um, how we fit into that message. All right. So Philippians chapter four, we'll be looking at verses ten through uh, verse twenty. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to, be, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. 
so the passage begins and as it begins he's going to talk about contentment and it's really our solid foundation by which we can then approach the rest of this conversation about giving and what that looks like and what that requires of you and what that requires of me and so Paul begins and as he begins he says that he's rejoicing in this renewed care that he is receiving from the Philippians he says he's rejoicing in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity and so he begins and he's telling them thank you for renewing this act of care renewing this act of love for me I do appreciate it and he moves on and he says that some event must have temporarily prevented them from caring for him in this way as he's continuing on he's going to continue to develop these similar concepts and he's actually been developing these similar concepts from the very beginning part of the book this has been a recurring theme as he begins his book he begins it by commonly talking about the importance of rejoicing and having joy in the Christian life he's gonna talk a lot about this idea of partnership and that's gonna come up once again this idea of thinking of others more than you think about yourself has been a common theme in the book of Philippians and once again it comes up here in verse 10 that they are now caring for him in the same way that they had once done but they had lost opportunity for some reason to do so and so he says that for a while I, I wasn't being cared for you like I was am now or like I was in the past <clears throat> and he says he doesn't want to flaunt his genuine need he really is in need he could use the financial resources that they are providing but he doesn't want them to look at his letter and to say oh man we've really failed Paul we need to send another gift right away because right now his need has been supplied it's been cared for and he's been provided for and so in verse 11 even though he's you know made it clear that he he was in need that now he's not trying to burden them with that not that I speak in regard to need for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content and so all of a sudden we have this introduction of this idea of content and it's a really interesting word especially in in the context of the rest of the New Testament because this word is never used elsewhere in the New Testament and you would think that you know me and you are supposed to be people who are content so when contentment is such a common theme in the Christian life and Paul uses the word content right here why is this not a more common theme well it's because the idea is actually not just content the idea is actually that of being self-sufficient and so this is the only occurrence of that word it's what he's actually saying then is something more like I have learned in whatever state I am to be self-sufficient and when we think about the word like that instead of like contentment begins to raise hopefully some red flags in our head and we're like well, we're not supposed to be self-sufficient we're supposed to live in community we're supposed to draw upon one another and seek encouragement from one another to be rebuked by one another we live in community we work together 
as we pursue our Christian life. And so what is he doing here? I think he's setting up this huge, this huge idea that he is content, he is self-sufficient, and then he's going to come in with a bulldozer and knock it down so that we see the great contrast that is evidently in Paul's life. And so he tells them, you know, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be self-sufficient. And I don't think he means that bad. I think that he's using this language to teach them of where their sufficiency really must lie. Because ultimately, as we continue reading, it becomes clear to us that, you know, Paul's not actually self-sufficient in himself. He's not looking within, you know, following his heart to lead him to how he is supposed to live. No, Paul is instead saying, I find my sufficiency in Christ. And because of Christ, I can live contentedly. Look at the following verses. He's going to continue on, and as he continues on, he makes it abundantly clear what he's talking about. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. He knows how to live in object poverty, and he knows to have how to have a lot. It's interesting, as you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, there's a lot of corresponding material in that passage. And in that passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he tells the Corinthians, you guys have purposed to do something. You've purposed to give to the, the, the Jerusalem church some sum of money. And I don't want you to be caught off guard. And so I'm sending somebody on ahead of me, to tell you and to remind you about your gifts so that you can be very, very intentional, very, very purposeful in accomplishing that goal that you told me about so long ago. And as he does that, he talks about this idea of abounding. He says, as you find yourself abounding, it provides you with opportunity to meet needs of others. And so when Paul says that he knows how to be abased and he knows how to abound, I don't think he means, you know, I know how to live really poor. And I know how to live up the high life without any concern for anybody else. I think there are aspects where, where we do enjoy what we have. But I think Paul's larger argument is that when we abound, when he abounded, I believe that he would have found means and opportunities to then to care for the needs of others. So he says... Whatever state I am in, I have learned to be content. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then in verse 13, he brings in this new concept. And as he brings in this new concept and he tells them, hey, this is the situation. This is what I'm talking about. This is, this is a verse that has been commonly misconstrued. And so you'll hear, you'll hear people say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they'll read this into all sorts of different things. They'll, they'll read this into the fact that they can, you know, study really hard and get an A on their test. Or they'll read this into their business plan. Or they'll read this into, um, you know, making a meal or, 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 or. But what is the context in which Paul says that he is strengthened by God? It's in this context of his self-sufficiency. He has told us already in verse 11 that he is content or that he is self-sufficient. But now in verse 13, he makes it clear that 
his self-sufficiency isn't found within his own strength. It's not found with his within his own abilities. Rather, the the fact that he can be content, the fact that he can be self-sufficient, is found in the strength of God. God has given him the strength so that he can do all things, so that he can go through times of extreme poverty, that he can go through times of hunger, where the temptation is in the midst of that hunger to look up at God and say, God, I curse you because you don't care about me and you've allowed me to reach this level of poverty. But he says God's strength has also cared for him and kept him through the temptations of when he becomes excessively wealthy, in at least his standard, and when he was abounding, God preserved him and kept him from saying he didn't need God because of his great position in wealth. And so he says that through Christ, he looks at both extremes and he says, I can go through both of those. And I do so in a way that is honoring and glorifying to Christ. Why? Because Christ strengthens me in both extremes. And so this idea of contentment that he develops here, and he's going to finish up in verse 14, he doesn't want them to think that he's not grateful for the gift, because he is grateful for the gift. He says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. I was definitely in need. And you have been an instrument of God in providing for and in caring for my needs. Thank you. But even if you hadn't, I could be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can face extreme poverty seeing what God is accomplishing through his plan. But thank you for your gift. He moves on from there. And as he moves on, he's going to begin to develop for us a theology of Christian giving. What I want us to what I want us to do is I want us to look at Philippians chapter four, verses fifteen through twenty. And I want us to develop a theology of Christian giving that is equivalent to and modeled after Paul's model and description of what Christian giving is. All too often, Christian giving is portrayed in numerous different ways that I believe fail to honor and glorify God's plan for giving. And so there are many people who will promote to you that a tithe is what you are required of. And, and I don't believe that a tithe matches the biblical New Testament pattern of what faithfulness is. I believe you must ask yourself, what does faithfulness look like? As I consider the various truths from the various passages of Scripture that address New Testament giving, what does faithfulness look like in my life? And for, for many people, if not most in America, I don't believe 10% long-term measures up. But even if you disagree with me there, to be a member of a local body of believers, 
and to say that you are pursuing worship of your heavenly Father. And forgiving not to be an aspect of your regular worship to some degree that is proportionate to your income is to fail to worship in this way. And I think as we look at Paul describe and define for us what this theology of giving is, I think you will see the importance of developing this angle of your worship. Your faithfulness in giving has impacts on how God demonstrates his care for you. I really think that Paul is teaching to a certain degree that God cares for those who are faithfully serving him. And, and what he means by faithful service in this text does seem to at least tie in, in part, with the description of giving. Let's, let's read through the text, and then we will slowly try to tackle the various points that are made in the text. Verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, as, as Paul begins this new section... He reminds the Philippians of their partnership with him earlier on. And they alone were ones who partnered with him. <clears throat> and so, as he leaves Macedonia, as he leaves Macedonia, and he's going to the next church to plant the next church, he says, you are the only church that financially sponsored Wow. And it begins to become clear why when Paul didn't receive a financial gift from them for a time, and then all of a sudden he receives another gift, it's like, wow, this is super encouraging. It's a reminder that, yes, indeed, we are all partnered. We are all pursuing the same ambition. Why? Because people are joining in the same cause. When Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime make up a bigger percentage of your month's budget than your partnership with the ministry of a local church, there is a problem. I was talking with someone recently about this situation and they said, well, they may be spending more time on those activities as well. And I would have to say that most likely that is the case. And, and so your financial giving demonstrates where you are partnered with, what you are pursuing. 
where you are pursuing faithfulness. Because we're pretty consistent in pursuing faithfulness to what we want. For instance, I have never not eaten a meal because I am faithful in pursuing filling myself with food when I'm hungry. I, I care for my family in the same way because I have committed to be faithful in that aspect. And, and so Paul looks and he says, you have been partners with me for a very long time. And as you go and you read the letter to the Corinthians, and Paul is talking about the Macedonians, the Philippians, and their gift, he says that out of their very extreme poverty, they are also partnering and supporting the Jerusalem church. And so he's encouraging the Corinthians, hey, you guys, other churches are doing this too. Be sure that you continue on. Pursue faithfulness. These are not people that are bounding in riches. These are poor people. And yet they found the opportunity to once again care for Paul. What I want you to ask yourself is, whether you're rich or poor, are you pursuing faithfulness in this aspect of worship? I'm not asking you if you're giving hundreds of dollars a month. I'm asking you if you're pursuing faithfulness. Because what the text is very clear about, whether or not you agree on, on you know, percentages is, the text is very clear that faithfulness is a requirement. And faithfulness is a requirement in the text in Corinthians and in Philippians. Whether you abound or you're suffering in poverty. Because both groups, Paul says, are giving. Why? Because they're motivated by the grace of Jesus Christ. What did Christ do to demonstrate his grace? He came to the earth and he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And he says, this should motivate gracious, loving giving in the Christian life. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. And these are, these are words that would be transferable into our business terminology of debits and credits. And so he's already picking up on this debit and credit, this business type language. And you and I both know that uh, when we invest in something, we expect returns. And if long term we don't see those returns, we're going to change those investments. So I have a retirement account. My wife has a retirement account. We started a couple of years ago. And over the last few years, we have seen it grow, right? That's what we expect. Now, if it goes down for a couple of months, or if there's a big recession, and it goes down for a couple of years, that's okay. But if everything else in the market starts going back up this way, and ours is still going that way, we're gonna go talk to our financial advisor and be like, we have a problem here. You see, the, the general market is going this way, but you have our money in accounts that are going this way. Now, when everybody's accounts are going this way, that was okay. I understand going down with everybody else. But when everybody else is going up, I don't wanna keep sinking. Then we have a conversation. And so he's bringing up this language of investing and 
giving and credits, and he's going to then bring up even more investment type language. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again um, for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What he's getting at is, I'm not looking for more money. I'm not. And that is not my goal in preaching this sermon. My goal in preaching this sermon isn't so that uh, you provide me with more finances to pay for uh, various things that I want to spend money on. That's not the big idea. The big idea that Paul is getting at is, going back to the illustration of investments, he says... The idea is that I want your investment account to be growing. And he says your investment account does not grow via Hulu subscriptions and Amazon Prime memberships. Those are not bad things. I, I have a Hulu, okay? And I had an Amazon, but I, I don't purchase enough from Amazon to make it worth $100 to keep an Amazon membership. I still buy stuff. I just wait till I have you know thirty five dollars of stuff to buy, and then I buy it and I get free shipping all at once. So I don't buy like ten dollars here and ten dollars there. Um, so I don't. If you buy that much and you like it, that's great. That's not a problem. Okay, the point isn't that. But the point is all the things that we spend money on do not lead to eternal fruit. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to have eternal fruit. I want you to have something that at the end of this life you can look back at and say, this was something that lasts. And he says, when you partner in the gospel ministry, it is something that lasts. It is effective and true worship. Continue partnering in things like this, Philippians. Don't give it up. Don't stop. It's worth the expense. It's worth the cost. Why? Because it has a guaranteed return. You know, when I, when I look at investments, I, I want to, you know, kind of have a general idea at least of what they've done in the past. Because if I look back and for the last 50 years that investment has made 2%, it's pretty safe to assume that over the next 50 years it'll make 2%. And with the cost of inflation being higher than 2%, I can't, I can't save enough money for my retirement years if I'm making 2%, right? I mean, that's basic math, people. So I gotta beat the inflation rate at least and hopefully do a little bit more. But you know what? Even with the best planning, there are people that their retirement is not secure. Because people rob people. There is a man in our in our town in Ghana who went to Israel and he made lots of money. And he came back after working for a number of years in Israel. He had plans for a great retirement. His house had begun to be built, but there were some little projects he wanted to finish up around the area. And he was going to have a nice, easy life for the remainder of 40 years or whatever. And he had all his money, and some of his own family members stole his money, and he lost everything. 
See, your, your retirement is not necessarily secure. Your, your investments here in this world are not necessarily secure. And what Paul is saying is invest in things that last. He's not saying don't invest. He's not saying don't enjoy any of your money when you abound. But he's saying regardless of where you find yourself, pursue faithfulness. Give. You might not be able to invest a lot, but invest what you can invest. Why? Because it has eternal reward. Everything else here is fleeting. Everything else here is passing. It will not last. It will not pay off. Invest in something eternal. Invest in something that will stand the test of time. Invest in something where moth and rust do not destroy. Invest in the gospel ministry is what Paul is saying. He seeks the fruit that abounds to your account. It's very business type language that he's using. He says this is worthwhile. This is important. Indeed I have all and I abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He goes on and he says, I have everything I currently need. And most of us would have to say that. There are very few people in America who through one means or another can't find all that they need. To my knowledge, there is nobody at church that couldn't afford food this last week. Nobody that doesn't have housing this last week. We are cared for. We are provided for. There are many, many opportunities for us to find extra resources if we need them. And what Paul is saying is, I have everything that I need. I don't need anything more he's trying to help them realize I'm not suggesting that you continue investing in my gospel ministry alone he moves on and he says and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus as Paul's beginning to wrap it up so to speak he reminds them that as they have been an instrument in providing for and caring for his needs, that God will ensure that he provides for and cares for their needs. Why? Because they have pursued faithfulness. And just as God has been faithful to him in supplying his needs through them, he says God will surely continue to provide for your needs and sometimes we struggle with this idea of needs okay there's lots of things that you and I could want that are far from needs but he says God will supply your needs and as he he thinks about God's care God's compassion God's goodness that God will provide for the needs of his faithful servants he bursts out in praise. And he says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why does God deserve glory forever and ever? 
It's because God will care for your needs forever and ever. And, and, and with this reminder of God's care and God's provision, you and I should be able to confidently give in a manner that is faithful. Not giving is not faithful. At the very least, we all know that. Why? Because the text over and over again points us to the fact that not giving is not faithful. The Philippians gave to Paul, they gave to the Jerusalemites, Paul says, out of their extreme poverty. I'm not saying what your giving looks like will be hundreds of dollars necessarily. You have to look at your budget and say, what do I actually need? What can I sacrifice? Giving will require that you sacrifice something. It doesn't matter how much you abound. Giving will require that you sacrifice something. And what Paul says is, as we sacrifice and care for the gospel ministry, God sees to it that something is accredited to us that will definitely last and stand the test of time. This year, I want to encourage you to pursue faithfulness. Believers must learn to be content in the Lord's strength. You're not self-sufficient in your own abilities. In a book that you read that you know talks about getting off social media so you're content, that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, I get off social media so that I can be content with what I have. No, he's strengthened in the Lord. He's meditating on who God is. And as he focuses his attention on who God is, he's encouraged to live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to Christ. We are content then when we focus ourselves on the sufficiency of Christ. If Christ is not sufficient in your life, you will never be content. What brings satisfaction to your life? Is it Christ and Christ alone, or is it Christ plus something? And what Paul is instructing you and I about today is that for you and I to be content, it requires that you and I focus our attention on Christ. And we say we're going to find our sufficiency in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross for my sins. Christ lives so that I can live in him. And in that, I am content. Faithful giving is a sacrifice that is available to all. I truly believe this. I believe that this is the theology of giving. You can pursue faithfulness no matter how much money you have. And so will you commit to pursue faithfulness this year? Most, most of our church family pursues faithfulness. But if, if, if you are struggling in this area, let me encourage you to talk to somebody. If you don't want to talk to me, that's okay. You can talk to a deacon or, you know, ask somebody else that you look at and you're like, I think they're probably pretty, pretty wise with finances. Okay? Seek help. Pursue faithfulness. It is available to everybody. It's not based on percentage. 
but I do think for most people 10% is a bare minimum. For some, that may be extremely sacrificial. If you make a thousand dollars a month and you have, you know, two hundred dollars of food that you need to buy for that month and a couple hundred dollars for utilities and a couple hundred dollars for um, payments for your housing and you know hundred or two hundred dollars for transportation there's not much money left I get that but you can pursue faithfulness to some degree okay God rewards his faithful servants he cares for them and that leads to praise for God's gracious care. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pursue faithfulness this year. Above everything else, in the midst of all the difficulties that 2021 will bring into your life and into my life, Paul says that we can focus our attention on Christ. When we find our sufficiency in Him and not in the things that surround us, we can pursue faithfulness and invest in something that lasts. Let me encourage you this year to join with the Lord in something that lasts and invest in the gospel ministry. Pursue faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that your grace has saved us and that it preserves us and keeps us for salvation that through your um, strength we are able to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you and that are being conformed to your son's image. We pray that we would not only be conformed in the areas of sin, but that we would also seek to pursue the patterns of faithfulness and obedience that you've modeled even in this area of giving. Thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I will give you a few minutes to log off. <clears throat> All right, it looks like that is that. Have a good afternoon. We will see you, hopefully, Lord willing, on Wednesday.